listening to the Refinery Church Podcast. Each message is from our most recent weekend service located on our downtown Brea campus. We hope you are encouraged and strengthened from today's episode. Now for a timely message from Senior Pastor Kelly Fellows. So that you could confidently say, God is for me and not against me. And this has been our theme verse uh, as we're moving forward in this series. comes from Romans chapter 8. And let's all say this together. Ready? Begin. If God is for us, who can be against us? I'm going to ask you to say it. Everybody on the count of three really loud. Let's fill this room. Let's fill this tent. If you're at home, scream it out so the neighbors are going, what the heck is going on? Ready? Begin. If God is for us, who can be against us? There it is. God is for you. God is for you. Here's what I want to do today. I want to highlight the different elements that go into forming a covenant. Traditionally, in cultures around the world. And you're going to see that this is foundational to understanding when the Bible talks about how God forms a covenant, what that means. I'm going to unpack all the different elements. That's why today is called covenant elements. It's going to give you insight into the events that took place in the Bible and help bring deeper meaning to rituals that you think are obscure. Because in our modern world, we don't understand some of these rituals and some of these covenant practices. But once you do, your life will be transformed. Your life will be transformed. I was talking to Tatiana, I was talking to Elijah this morning. I'm so excited about sharing this because I got revelation years ago when I saw and understood what covenants meant. And then I read in the New Testament when Jesus said these words and he handed the, the, the cup of wine to his followers and he said, in this, my blood, the symbol of his blood is the new covenant. I didn't think much of that. I'd been to church. I'd heard about a covenant. It didn't mean anything to me. But once I begin to learn the principles and the practices of covenants, I begin to go, oh, what Jesus said was, well, that was serious. That was impacting. I didn't get it. You will get it. And that revelation will be for you as well. So here we go. We're going to get into the parts of a covenant. All right. And then I'm going to show you some scriptures. The parts of the covenant. Take a look on the screen. There are four parts to the forming of a covenant. Traditionally, in, in, in cultures around the world, you would see these four parts happening when a, a covenant was established. Remember the illustration I gave you a couple weeks ago. Let's say there's a farming tribe and a warrior tribe. They would form a covenant that would benefit one another. These four parts would happen every time a covenant was established with two groups. All right. There's the terms of the covenant the location where the covenant takes place, which is significant, the ceremony, which we're going to break down in detail this morning, and then finally, the memorial. There are four parts to establishing a covenant. First, let's get into the terms. The terms of the covenant. Terms of the covenant were important because covenants were serious matters. It wasn't just some sort of, hey, I'll meet you for dinner at 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock, and we're going to have some food. I promise you I'll be there. Well, that's kind of a loose promise. If something comes up, you can text and say, hey, by the way, uh, I got a flat tire, so I'm not going to be able to meet you for dinner. No big deal. Not a big deal. Wasn't a covenant. Covenant was a serious matter. 
So terms were established. They weren't lightly handled. As a matter of fact, the most serious, the most sincere, the most intense was a blood covenant. Everybody say blood covenant. We're getting to Halloween, and so we're going to see lots of pictures of scary stuff in blood. We tend to think of blood as scary, but there's life in blood. All of us have blood flowing through our veins right now. It is, it's the life transportation vehicle that transports oxygen throughout your body. You need blood. There's life in blood. And so a blood covenant was very, very sincere and significant. A blood covenant, if it was formed between tribes or individuals, could last seven generations or longer. That's how long a blood covenant would last if a culture uh, formed it. It meant that future generations would be affected by the, by the commitment that we would be making today. Future generations. Not just your kids, but your grandkids and their descendants. So the decisions that were being made, the terms that were being established, had to be taken seriously. Because you were now connecting this tribe with your future generations. This meant that two people, representatives, would have long discussions. They would clarify, they would agree, and they would record the terms of the covenant. For example, they'd say, okay, what will each party do in the covenant? What is their responsibilities? Who will manage or own the covenant? Who will ensure that it maintains from generation to generation? And what happens if there's a breach in the covenant? What are the consequences? If you say you're going to come into covenant with me, but you break your covenant, what are the consequences? Let's be clear. As a matter of fact, uh, any business owners or business leaders or corporate leaders uh, understand this. When you're working with employees or when you're in an agreement with another business, you want to be clear on two things. You want to have clear expectations. Isn't that right, Sean? You're your boss. Clear expectations on your employees and realistic timelines. Let's talk about how long this is going to last. How long is it going to take? You have those two things when you're working with your employees. When you're in an agreement, things go smoothly. That's what the terms of the covenant are. Clear expectations and realistic timelines. When a, when a term was established, here is typically the phrase that would be used. I will blank. Then you will blank. Get it? That's, that's a covenant agreement. Uh, for example, the farmers. I will feed you, then you will protect me. See, it's conditional. I will feed you, so then you will protect me. And then the warring tribe, the battle warriors, would say, I will protect you, then you will feed me. We agree. I will be fed, you will be protected. Covenant agreement. I think we're very clear. The second part of the covenant that was being established was a location. A location would be chosen. And it couldn't just be any old place. It actually had to be a very sacred or special place because you would bring your entire farming tribe together. Everyone, boys, girls, men, women, little children, old people would be helped over there. And typically a place like this would be chosen. It would usually be like a valley where you would have one side of the valley with hills. Do we have that picture up there? One side of the valley with hills and then on the other side of the valley you'd have the hills. Typically it would look something like this so that one tribe could be up on one side of the hill and the other tribe could be on the other side of the hill and the leaders would then meet in the middle. The reason this location was chosen because it was important for every single person to see and hear what was being declared during the ceremony. There could be no doubt 
because that representative, that leader was representing that entire tribe. This entire tribe would be co become in covenant. They would usually choose this kind of site and everyone would attend. Both leaders representing it would then meet in the middle. And then comes the third part. As they all meet there on the hills comes the ceremony. Everybody say ceremony. Ooh, this is where it gets good. The elements of a blood covenant ceremony where things get really, really interesting. And there's usually nine different elements of blood covenants that have taken place in cultures around the world. Even though, cult even though covenant ceremonies may vary a little bit from culture to cult culture or from generation to generation, some of these elements may not necessarily be in all blood covenants, but we see that these elements, these nine elements, do occur throughout the world. Each are found in cultures and are well documented with important biblical significance. So these are practices that humans have been doing for thousands of years. And then when we look to scripture, we can see how significant these practices were. Now that we've established the terms, we've chosen a location, now let's imagine. Let's imagine you and I are going into a covenant. We are going to establish this covenant with our tribes. It may go something like this. I would gather with my tribe on one side of the hill. You would gather with your tribe on the other side of the hill. And I, as a representative of my tribe, would step away from the people I would step away from my people and I would meet in the middle and you would do the same. The first thing we would do is I would take off my coat. Typically it would be like a military uniform. Maybe it might be a robe if I was royalty and I would take off my coat and I would extend it to you. On that coat would show my authority. It would show my ranking. It would show maybe some military patches and medals declaring who I am and what I represent. I would give my coat to you. And as I'm giving my coat to you, this is what I'm saying. Take a look on the screen. Symbolically, I'm saying these words. I would be saying, all that I am, I give to you. My authority, all my influence, both as a person and as a leader, my status and resources are now yours. You would then in turn present your coat and you would give it to me and I would place it on me and you would place my coat on you and everyone would see the exchange that would take place. You would be communicating the same commitment that I was commu communicating. The second thing I would do, I've put on your coat, you've put on my coat. Now I would take off my belt. Not the kind of belt that I'm wearing right now to hold up my pants. That would be embarrassing. But rather, I would take off my weapons belt. Usually it would have a sword. Maybe a shield would be connected to it. My weapons belt would be removed. And then I would hand them to you. You would take those, and then you would put them around your waist. And by doing this, I begin to say these words. I would say, by this action, all of my power, I now give to you. All my strength and ability to fight or defend are yours. My military is now your military. 
My allies are now your allies and your enemies are now my enemies. This would be the symbol of me handing you my weapon belt. Now I'm in covenant with you. Then maybe you're the farming tribe and you would say, here's my belt. And on your belt would be tools of farming, an ax and a hammer. Or other things such as a sickle. And you would hand that belt to me. And I would be excited about that. And you would be excited about the belt you just received. Because you know that that meant, you meant, that meant to you, man, you are now going to be protected. All of the might and the power of my warring army is there for you. You will now be safe. And then by you giving me that hammer and that axe and that sickle, I would now be thinking, finally, my people will be able to eat and not starve. The symbol of that would be so exciting. Wouldn't that be exciting? Think about if you were the farmers and you were always going to bed scared at night. How would that make you feel if you knew, man, somebody's watching out for me? I shared with you a story about my brother-in-law, Dennis, and how I knew that he had my back. And no matter where I went, he said he was always there for me. Man, that just made me feel good. It made me feel more confident that I knew he was there for me. Well, then came the third part, the cutting of animals. Ooh, this is where it gets a little gruesome, and this is where it gets a little serious. Today's day and age, we don't like to hear about animals. We don't like to hear how meat is processed. We don't like to know that chicken is really chickens. Do you know what I'm talking about? My daughter one time, I remember when she was like four or five years old, she's eating some chicken, and suddenly she started to put chicken in her mouth. She goes, she looked up at mom and I, and she had that realization that a four or five-year-old go, chicken, dad, this is chicken. <laughs> well, yeah, you've been eating chicken since you could eat food, but dad, it's a chicken. <laughs> and she began like concerned because she suddenly realized chicken is chicken. We don't call meat beef. Well, some of us do. We don't call it cow. What are you going to have for dinner tonight? Some cow. Well, that's what we are. We say steak, right? We say we're going to have some meat. We're going to be grilling up some ribs. How barbaric is that if you think about it? We're having some ribs. Arr, arr, arr. <laughs> we don't like to think about it, but the reality is animals are butchered for our well-being. Well, in covenant practices, animals were more than just food. They were a very serious matter. And each tribal leader would bring down to the center a group of people to prepare the animals. And each tribal leader would bring out an ox or a, or a bull or a goat or sometimes smaller animals. And the animals would be put to death in front of everybody watching. I know this seems gruesome and brutal. And it is. Because it would demonstrate the seriousness of this covenant. This isn't just a nice agreement. This is a matter of life and death. The animals would be put to death in front of everyone. They would then portion the animal into two halves. One half leaning on the side of this tribe and the other half leaning on the side of this tribe, representing both. And the blood from the animals would flow towards the middle and a pool of blood would begin to form there in the middle of the valley. By doing this, here's what I'm saying. Today, my independence from you dies. We don't like that as Americans. We like 
to be independent. We actually celebrate one of the biggest holidays of the year in America is what? The 4th of July, Independence Day. The day we broke away from England and became an independent nation. In a covenant, you are relinquishing your independence. And you are saying, I am now becoming interdependent with this tribe. I'm no longer independent, which is good, because now I'm interdependent, and there's greater strength with the two tribes. So the, the cutting of the animal represents the death of independence. And it also gives an example of, if I break this covenant, let what has been done to this animal be done to me. That's how serious this is. Can you imagine if you were signing a contract for a car? And you said, okay, here you go. Uh, uh, bring in the goats, and we're going to make a covenant today. And if I break that covenant, I miss my payment. Let what happens to this goat happen to me. See, a contract is different. Nobody be buying cars if that was going on today. Uh-oh, no, man. See, a contract is different than a covenant. You see, there's something serious about it. Think about the scene. You're in the tribe, and you're up there. You got your lunch. You're sitting there because this ceremony takes a long time, and you're watching. And suddenly, they bring out the animals. Maybe it's a goat or a bull that you know. Maybe you have a name for that bull. Suddenly, it becomes very personal, doesn't it? Hey, that's fluffy. <laughs> and fluffy is put to death. Fluffy is put to death and the, and the, and the blood is, is flowing. Imagine the sights, the sounds. Here I go. I'm going to get even more graphic. The smells. Bet you won't forget, will you? Bet you won't forget that scene. You won't. Because the sounds, the sights, and the smell imprint on your mind. And you will remember this day, which is the point. See, the first elements sound wonderful. Yeah, we're changing coats. I like your coat. It's got lots of medals. That's cool. Now it's mine. Check me out. Sword? Yeah, I'll take your sword. Check out my sword. Animals? Hold on here. Blood? Mmm. Wait a minute. This is serious. And now it's costing. Now there's a cost. See, we live in a time when we're very sanitized. We don't like to think about that. We don't like the thought of death. We try to put death away. We like to put it in little categories, and it's not part of our daily life. But in traditional covenants, death was part of daily life. Matter of fact, I remember my friend Tara Chase. Some of you know the Chase family. They moved to Florida a few months back. I miss them terribly. But Tara used to tell me stories because her dad is a butcher. And his butchery was in their basement. She grew up. In would come the meat from a recent hunt. And it would go into the basement. And it would come out in paper and packages. Separated into various forms and shapes. Prepared and processed. See, aren't those nice words? Prepared and processed. Not killed and slaughtered and cut and <laughs> right we don't we don't like prepared and processed but that's what took place so tara actually has a great respect for life and death because she grew up seeing the natural process that takes place fourth comes and for the sake of time i want to keep on going because there's nine of these number four then would come the walk of blood Woo. 
Yeah, this is what happens in blood covenants. Both parties would join arms or join hands. And then they would proceed to walk symbolically in a figure eight around the carcass and then back through the pool and then around the second half of the carcass in a figure eight and back through the pool. Does anybody know what this figure eight symbolizes? What does it mean? Infinity. Infinity. This covenant is forever. And they would say, as they arrived in the middle, these words, this covenant is forever, this is even unto death. This blood, walk of blood, symbolized that, and they would end there in the middle. Today's wedding covenant still has aspects of the walk of blood. Now, some of you are going, I don't know what weddings you've been to, Pastor Kelly, but I ain't seen no blood at my wedding. No, but we do say these words, right? Unto death. Till death do us part. You see, the wedding covenant of today goes all the way back to the times of blood covenants when they say this commitment is unto death. The modern practice is taken directly from the blood walk of blood. Number five comes the swearing. That would be the fifth point. Now, this is not the point where this tribe on this side starts cussing out that tribe on that side, like a football game. Yeah, yeah, you and them, and yes, you and you. No, that isn't how it is. This isn't like some sort of sports game. It's not that kind of swearing. This blood oath is where they take a stand. And the tribal leaders are now, they've done the walk of blood and they're standing there. They would now proceed to remove a sharp stone or a blade and they would make an incision upon their right hand. And now their blood would begin to drip down their arms and they would raise their right hand for all tribes to see, for both tribes to see. You and I, as representatives of this tribe, now invoke my blood. They would stand there with their right arm raised and the blood would begin to drip down their arm and now it would drip into the pool that was at their feet. All could see that this is a serious matter. Their blood is dripping down and no longer is this just the sacrificial blood, but now it's your blood and my blood and our animals that represent all of our people. And you know what? Now this is our blood mixed together and forming one. The leaders would then, after raising their hands, they would make an oath and they would swear to the terms of the covenant. And they would reach across and they would clasp hands together. And they would then begin to invoke the blood covenant bond by swearing to keep this covenant. Have you ever wondered where our right hand of Handshaking comes from. It traces all the way back to the times of blood covenants when leaders would raise their right hand, they would swear an oath, and then they would extend and they would connect. And they would now be symbolizing and saying, we are now one. My blood is your blood. And this is what they would be saying at the blood covenant. Your blood is now my blood. Your family is now my family. Your priorities are now my priorities. Your life is as precious as my life. Isn't that powerful? This is a covenant that is saying, your family is now my family. If your family is in trouble, I'm stepping up to help. Your cousins, 
your brothers and sisters, even though they're kind of weird and funky and they talk and I, I, just, I lose impatience with them, they're my family, so I'm going to go help. That's what a covenant practice, a blood covenant would be. Now number six. Now we get to move from the gore into the exciting part, right? The part that we all love. Yeah, we got the coats and yeah, we got the weapons, but now comes the blessings that we read about in the terms. This would be the time when I would publicly declare the benefits of being in covenant with me. And you would do the same. The blessing might sound something like this. I wrote this out just for all of us to see. Here would be a blessing. You would say, if you keep this covenant, these blessings will be yours. My flocks and herds and land and crops are yours. If you are hungry, I will feed you. If you are homeless, I will take you in. If someone attacks you, I will attack them. If someone blesses you, I will bless them. So help me, God. Give me the strength and the ability to do this, God. Man, that would be good. Your whole tribe would be sitting there they're going, yeah, all of them are saying that. And our tribe would be hearing the same thing from you. And we'd be going, yeah, that's right. I want these blessings. This is what we need. This is what we've been working for. This is what we've been waiting for. But there are terms of the covenant. Remember, it's conditional. If I will, then you will. There's terms, conditions. Then comes the curses that would be spoken. And here's what it might go like. But if you break this covenant, let's put it up on the screen. If you break this covenant, these blessings will be revoked. You will have no access to my land or my resources. Our gates are closed. You will not have my protection. You will become my enemy. So help me, God. And they would declare that saying, so help me, God, to fulfill these curses if the covenant is broken. These blessings and curses would be recorded and repeated for future generations as a reminder and a warning to the current and future generations. The blessings that you have and the warning of the consequences if you don't fulfill the covenant. We forget there are consequences. Those of you who are grown-ups in here, and we got most everybody in here is a grown-up, I think. Looks like we got a room full of grown-ups. Y'all know consequences, right? Right? Kids don't know consequences. That's why when I was about uh, nine years old, I took my bicycle on the top of my house and thought it'd be really cool to, to run down the top of my house on my bicycle and try to jump into the pool. I thought that would be really cool. I don't think about consequences. Then when I was like 21 years old, I did all sorts of stupid things. I remember riding on the top of a car as the guy would do donuts just to see how cool that would be. Little did I know about centrifugal force in my body going flying across the street. Boys' brains don't develop until about 25 years old. They don't think about consequences. That's why young men under 25, you do stupid stuff. We don't think about consequences. But the blessings and curses give us the excitement of the blessings and remind us of the consequences if we don't fulfill. We're living in a world today that forgets that there are consequences and they suffer. Number seven is the seal. I got to keep going for the sake of time. The seal. In our day and age, we work to, we, we work to reduce scarring. 
scars on our bodies. We get laser surgery. We put on ointments. We do everything to reduce scarring, which is good. Matter of fact, when I had the tracheotomy a couple of years ago and they had the tube in my throat, they took it out and they said, here, put these different ointments on, put these vitamins on, and the scar will eventually pretty well go away. Most of you can't even tell that I have a scar on my neck because, hey, they did a really good job with the ointments. But every time I look in the mirror, I can see the scar and it reminds me of what God had done for me. See, for me, when I look at the scar, it reminds me of God's faithfulness and that he healed my body. See, the scars on the hands would be intentionally not healed in a clean way. They would actually take ash from the ceremonial fire and they would push it into the wound so that it would fester and it would form a very apparent and obvious scar. And there was a reason for this. So that every time a tribal leader would extend his hand, maybe to another tribe, everyone would see, oh, wait a minute, he's in covenant with somebody. See, you could be a weak 50-pound farmer, and you extend your hand to some foreigner, that foreigner would immediately go, oh, wait a minute, he may be a 50-pound farmer, but he could be in covenant with a 300-pound brute. I better think twice before I attack him. See, the scar was the seal and the sign of the covenant. See, we do that same thing today. I can't even get it off. Come in. There it is. See, this is our seal and sign of a covenant of marriage. I wear it on my left hand on purpose so that all those ladies see this handsome, good-looking man and say, oh, I'd like to spend some time with him. Oh, I'm sorry, ladies. <laughs> I'm married. It's okay. No, nobody does that with me. <laughs> Crazy thing about today's covenants is if I was one of those kind of guys, I could go, you know what? Uh, today I don't want to be in covenant. A scar, that's with you forever. And that's why the scar was such an important seal of the covenant. Here's what the scar meant. Take a look on the screen. This scar is a seal for all to see that I have committed in blood to be in covenant with you. Blood has been shed. A blood covenant is for life. The eighth part, eighth element of a covenant ceremony is the exchanging of names. This is where we actually trace back where a person takes on the name of another person during a marriage covenant. If my name was Jones and yours was Smith, from that day forward, I would be known as Jones Smith. And you would be known as Smith Jones. That's where last names begin to evolve and become what we have them today. In some cultures, the man and the woman take on both names. In other cultures, the woman takes on the man's name. My daughter and my son-in-law, Colson and Emma, did something very unique, and it actually traces back to this period of time. They chose a name that was unique for just them. And they prayed about it, and they came up with a name that represented their covenant relationship. And their last name is not Fellows, and it's not Timblin. Their last name is Place. And they chose that very specifically because it's a declaration that this place is a home. 
In this place is love. In this place is faithfulness. In this place. And so their last name is place. They established a covenant name and they took on a new name. A new name is formed when a covenant is formed. And number nine, and the last one is this. It's the covenant meal. Everybody say the meal. Because everybody loves a party. So now I know you probably lost your appetite after this blood covenant, but there would be a meal. And it would last for days. And they would take the meat, because they're not going to waste it. They would take the meat, and they would cook it up. And everybody would participate and receive some of that meat. And the meat from the ceremony was prepared. And even though in covenants around the world there are different elements of the covenant meal, there are two elements that are apparent in every covenant in every culture to this day. Bread and wine. Bread was present and wine was present and was necessary for the finalization of this covenant. And the bread represented the strength and the vitality of the body. And the wine represented the blood, which was life. As we eat and drink, this is what I'm saying when you and I are forming this covenant. I'm saying my body and my strength is yours. The life of my blood now flows in you. See, God says don't drink blood, but go ahead and drink some wine to represent my blood. We know today, when we participate in many church services, this meal is remembered through communion. Traces back to these traditions of blood covenant. These nine elements were part of the ceremony, and then came the fourth part of the the covenant celebration, and that was the memorial. After the conclusion of the ceremony, the final act is setting up a memorial. Often a tree or a forest or stone structure would be erected, and inscriptions would be placed on these structures as a memorial with the names and the terms of the covenant. These memorials had an obvious purpose. And do you know what it was for? So you would remember. So that I would remember. So that when future generations were growing, we could take them to this memorial and say, Grandpa established a covenant with this tribe. You know what that means for you, son? Because Grandpa made this covenant with the the farming tribe. That means, son, you're going to be able to eat. Because that covenant promised it was to me and my future generations. But you know what that means, son? Son, you got to protect them. you got to watch out for them. This memorial was established to remind your generation and the future generation of the commitment, the blessings, and the consequences. We see these things spoken of in cultures around the world. And when we dig into the Bible, we begin to see that God performed all of these throughout the ages to say to you, I am for you and not against you. I am with you and I have your back. Tatiana, why don't you join me up here? In conclusion for today, here's what we see. The principles and commitment of a covenant, especially a blood covenant, are serious. They're significant And they're an intentional act. It's not just a contract. It's not a simple agreement. 
In today's day and age, we don't understand this type of dedication, do we? We don't. Promises are broken all the time. Somebody gives you their word, doesn't mean a whole lot. I get people all the time, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll help you, I'll help you. And then it's time to move, and it's me and my wife and a few faithful people. We, we, we don't stand by our word. We see promises broken and commitments abandoned, and maybe you've been a victim of that. Maybe you've experienced that. I think each of us have probably experienced some sort of disappointment or letdown when a person breaks a promise or breaks trust. Doesn't feel good, does it? Kind of hurts. Can lead to disappointment, discouragement. And then when you come to church and you hear God, you hear the preacher say, God is faithful. He'll keep his promises. You know what happens in your brain? Yeah, sure. I've heard that before. I heard that man say that to me. And he left me. I heard that dad say that to me. And he left our family. I heard that mom say that to me. She's not even here. And so your experience makes you cynical, makes you doubtful. It makes you wonder, can God really keep his promises? Yes, he can, and he does. And you know why that's true? Because of this passage of scripture, way back when some of the first covenants were being established between God and humans. God had Moses write down these words in the book of Numbers that says, God is not a man that he should lie. God is not a man who breaks his promises. God is a promise keeper. Someone you can count on. Someone you can trust from generation to generation. And God set up a memorial called the Bible so that you could bring your children and future generations to this covenant document and say, look what God said. There are blessings for you. There are consequences if we don't keep them. And there are blessings. Maybe you've experienced heartbreak. And it's hard for you to understand and to believe that there actually is a God who keeps his promises. Let me tell you something. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 34. God is near to those who are brokenhearted. Here's my prayers. Even when we were coming into this series, God, I pray that you would mend broken hearts. People who have been hurt, disappointed, let down, and they, they view you through the lens of their hurt. They view you through the lens of their disappointment. They view you through the lens of their abandonment. God, heal their heart so that they could see you as the faithful God that you are. That's been my prayer for you. And God says he's near to you if you're brokenhearted and he wants to heal your heart. Lastly, this last verse encourages me that God is a promise keeper. Because in Hebrews chapter 13, it says this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
the words that Jesus said, the promises that Jesus gave, the truth that Jesus spoke then, yesterday, is the same truth for today. And it will be the truth for tomorrow. It will be the promises for tomorrow. You can count on it. Your children can count on it. No matter what society and culture says, you have a God who made a covenant with you that you can count on. And so, I want to pray. As we wrap up this morning, I gave you all the elements. And here's the fun part. Mm. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to take a few of those elements. I'm going to point to Scripture and say, take a look at that. Do you see that? And you're going to go, that's a covenant element. That's one of the elements of the covenant. And then we're going to look at some other uh, times when, when God met with Abraham. And you're going to go, oh, oh, look, that's part of a covenant. And God met with David. Oh, that's part of a covenant. And the words that Jesus said, oh, those are covenant words. And your faith is going to grow stronger and you're going to get more and more confident. Like the 16-year-old boy who knew that there was a 250-pound man who could protect me. You'll be confident knowing you got a bigger God who keeps his promises and his covenants are true. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word today. It says that you are not a man that you should lie. We thank you, God, that in you is truth, that your words are true and dependable. Come on, thank him right now for that. Say, thank you, God, that you are faithful. You are dependable. I thank you, God, that you are near to those who are brokenhearted. I pray that even now you're healing hearts from past pains and past abandonment and past rejection, that, God, you are healing and you're saying, I will not let you down. I am for you and not against you. And if God is for me, who can be against me? Jesus Christ, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the words that you spoke 2,000 years ago are true today. And they will be true tomorrow. So, Lord, I pray that confidence would fill every heart and mind in here and that spirits would leave this place knowing I can do it because God is with me. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed and nobody looking around, let me ask you, have you made a commitment to God today? A covenant requires two parties coming into agreement. Jesus Christ came and said, I will give you life and life abundantly. Will you give your life to him today? Simply pray a prayer. The Bible says this. If you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So simply say, God, I believe you are true. And Jesus Christ died on a cross. He rose from the dead, proving that everything he said is true. And I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. You can make that your prayer right now. Come on. Now you are in covenant with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Today I am a Christian. You can pray that prayer. Today I am a Christian. That means I am like Christ. And I can have all the things that Jesus Christ said I could. Peace, joy in the midst of chaos, healing in my body, provision as I seek him first. I thank you, Lord. Today, if you, if you receive something from the Lord, just tell him thank you right there where you're at. Thank you, God, for this word. Thank you for this encouragement. Strengthen us, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more great content and information about Refinery Church, find us at wearerefinery.com and our socials, We Are Refinery. If you would like to help support and give to the ministry, visit our website at wearerefinery.com forward slash give. See you on our next episode at the Refinery Church Podcast.